This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Well, good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for January 13th, 2015, episode 1081. Good morning, Horse World. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday... And it doesn't get much better than best conditioned. And completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. But don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me up forever. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us here this morning on Horses in the Morning. We have Karen back with us. Of course, she's here the second Tuesday of every month to talk about endurance riding. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. So uh, it's uh, you live in Colorado, and it's a little cold and snowy out there. What's the scoop? A little further west. <laughs> oh, that's right. You live in Nevada. I keep forgetting that. Yes, you live in Nevada. Well, you talk yeah. to so many different people, and, it, and we're all I over know. the country. <laughs> I know. Uh, we've had actually pretty nice weather. It's been up in the 50s. The storms seem to keep missing us, and, and we really need more snowpack um, in the Sierras. But, you know, we are enjoying the nice, pleasant weather, not freezing. That's a good thing. <laughs> and, uh, of course, this time of year out there, you don't have many rides, right, official competitions. You know, especially not in the West region. There actually aren't any. Um, we would have to travel south. Um, to us. What's the you weather have to like? Come down here to Florida, where in everybody. Florida. I was just saying, what's the weather like <laughs> down in Florida? Because I know there's a lot of endurance riders that winter over there. Actually, we've had. Uh, you know, last week it was pretty chilly. We were in the 30s at nights, and you know, some some days not out of the 40s. So that's pretty chilly for here in Florida. Uh, and yesterday we had one of our days of absolutely torrential rains with probably about five inches of rain. So it's uh, it depends, you know, it all depends on the day. What, it does. Uh, everything is always changing in Florida. But, you know, for the most part, though, you know, it always gets uh, warmer during the day. That's one thing you can count on in Florida. <laughs> it's today today we'll be up to in the 70s. So. Oh, wow. That's not too bad. We're not no, in the pool right bad. now, but... But it's still pretty warm. That's kind of nice. Short sleeves. Short sleeves to ride down here. So, yes, all the endurance riders, you know, it is amazing the number of horses that are in Acala. I think this is the year I've seen the most horse trailers than I've ever seen. Because now Ocala hasn't just – it used to, It started out with just the some jumpers, and then it was the eventers moved in, and then there were some dressage riders that came to Ocala, <laughs> and then the endurance riders moved in a couple years ago. And now the Rainers are heading to Ocala, too. So wow. we've got it all. Yeah. We have, we have it all here. So when are you going to make your winter trek to Ocala? 
I don't know. I think that's kind of a long way. But, you know, the <laughs> cost of gas way. has gone down. A regular gas in, in Gardnerville, I just saw, was $1.95 a gallon. I know. On vacation, we paid a dollar eighty-one. I said to Jennifer, can we just fill up the trunk and, you know, put it in the hub gaps? And, uh, I know it. Who would have ever thought we'd see it get under $2 a gallon uh, again? Don't get, um, don't get used to know, it. Yet, It'll go back up. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and I know, like in California, they passed some new gas taxes that went into effect January first. So they haven't dropped quite as much, I think, as we have. But still, I mean, that can make a big difference in the cost of a big trip when the the, the prices drop. You know, and diesel's gone down too, just not quite as much. But it's still under three dollars, which is great. <laughs> You know, when we bought our first diesel truck, diesel was less expensive than gas. Uh, there, no. there was what about to about what was it about fifteen years ago that the two that the two switched places? But before that, diesel was always less expensive than gas. It's one of the reasons that we bought a diesel truck. I know. See, we're dating ourselves by admitting that we know that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was. It was, and it was. You know, it was a good fifty cents less. I mean, it was significantly less than gas and now it's what a do- it's always been about a dollar more since that day on it's always stated about a dollar more oh, that's uh, because we both got diesel trucks <laughs> exactly right after we do that they, that's what happens yes you can, you can count on that but yeah i, I did I read an article yesterday to give everybody hope that the one of the you know one of the royal people over there in uh in saudi arabia said that he does not now i think i think that he's full of it but he said that he doesn't think that uh, oil will ever get to $100 a barrel again. Right now it's running at less than 50 um, okay. And, it, you know, he thought $100 a barrel was good for for the industry and for people and everything. And, of course, they were making a ton of money. Um, and now they're not making a ton of money. So, But he says he doesn't know that it will ever get to that again. Everything goes in cycles. It will get to that again. How long it takes, let's just hope it takes a while. Right. <laughs> You know, this came in just amount of time, too, for those people who are using oil and, and fossil fuels to heat up there, especially in the northern part of the country, where it's been, you know, minus five. I just posted a picture this morning from a sled event in Wisconsin of a little farewell pony pulling a little sled that it was minus five when they had their little sleigh rally over the weekend. And they said that was one of the warmer well, years. For, yeah, we we actually had, a, um, it's been a couple of weeks now, we got down to one night minus five. And, and that's what? a pretty hard, hard Yeah, that's pretty uh-huh. good. Yes, but you do and get the blankets out for the horses then. Well, yeah. and, and just, of course, just like a couple of days ago, I have two stock tanks that have water heaters in the drain pods. And, of course, one of them just broke. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. But actually, they never, they won't break in the summertime, Karen. What are you talking about? <laughs> Oh, I know, I know, exactly. So I have time to get another one before hopefully we have any more of those hard, hard freezes. Because it's no fun well, to try to break ice when it gets that thick. <laughs> well, I want to hear about, I've been following, sort of following on Facebook, uh, casually Heather Reynolds, and I want to hear more about what she's been up to. Of course, she's been a guest on the show several times and is a fellow Floridian right down the road from us. Um, but first, let's find out from Jennifer what's going on in today's show. On today's endurance episode, Karen's got a who knew helpful hint 
and a look at the Dubai Endurance Cup, which is a fascinating race despite its less than surprising result. And then next up, Donis Thran <laughs> enlightens us about phototonic light therapy, a really cool conversation. And after the break, Julie, Dr. Julie Bullock talks about pre-purchase exams. So stay tuned for the fray, folks. Thank you, Jennifer. Well, all right, let's talk about Dubai. Now, they had the, uh, what was it called again, the Dubai Cup? Well, uh, I think I'm going to make you pronounce this. And Oh, the Sheikh Mohammed <laughs> Cup? That's right. It was the Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum Endurance <laughs> Cup. I only know that, and I only can say it because we had to cover him so much when we covered the World Equestrian Games. So that's the reason okay. I know how to say that. Oh, good. Now, let me guess. That, that's did Sheikh Mohammed did he ride in his own race, Sheikh Mohammed? Um, yes, and uh, Sheikh Hamden, I guess. Um, he actually finished first in like six and a half hours of ride time. And, well, we did uh, have representatives from, we had one that I know about representative from the United States. Was there uh, more? Actually, yes, we did have more. There were a handful of riders, and actually it was a $2.6 million um, purse, Ooh. or, or I'm not sure how that was divided up, but um, it says here each foreign rider except Gulf Arab nationals who completes the challenging 160 kilometer race, which is 100 miles, received 100,000 dirhams, which is $27,226. Oh, hey, just for finishing? For well, it's yeah, you make it sound yeah. so easy. I don't think it's just that easy to finish. Cause I think Sorry, I didn't mean to make it them, sound so easy. That yeah, was a mistake. You know, yeah, it's a tough, tough course because there's a lot of deep sand. And actually, Heather Reynolds did complete. She was the first foreign rider. She placed 24th, and her time was, I believe, 8 hours and 17 minutes or something, uh, riding a horse named River Watch that her husband has previously won the Tevis Cup on and it no longer um, <clears throat> it was sold and they they invited her to come and do the race and allow her to, to um, I guess, borrow the horse for the event. Uh, the other riders in the United States, none of them completed. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I, I, was, I watched the video that you sent over to me and we're talking desert. I mean, just desert, sand dunes and desert. Right, and what a um, sport, you know, handing off the water bottles like that. It, You know, I mean, you, it takes practice, I'm sure, at a canner to be grabbing these water bottles, pouring them on your horse, grabbing the next one, pouring it on your horse. I mean, that takes some practice, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do have, uh, I did notice that in that video, they were handing water bottles about every 10 feet, uh, and they were just pouring them over the horses. Have you ever done a true desert ride like that? Not really, no. And, you know, here especially we don't have that kind of crew support either. You know, they're not going to like us using that many bottles of water and then just tossing them. I'm sure they all got picked up, but I had plugged the the live feed in onto my big screen TV, and you could really see all of the hundreds and hundreds of bottles all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would never go here. <laughs> No, definitely not. The EPA would be out there in force. Uh. I know. I know. All the horses would be freaking out when they stepped on the bottles and they went crackle, crackle. Yes. 
35 riders dumped. (laughs) Well, that's the other interesting thing is these horses, if you watched the the race, the only time they trot is for their vet checks. I mean, they canter right up into the check and leave at a canter. And they're pretty much running the whole entire time in order to make those kinds of times. And, you know, I cannot different. get my lazy driving pony to uh, to trot for more than five minutes. <laughs> well, that might be why you weren't invited to go to this race, Quinn. <laughs> it's probably why. Well, I have an update on um, Kathy and Janet, who two months ago yesterday um, had a kidney transplant. And this is what Kathy wrote. She wrote, and she wrote this yesterday. Today marks two months since the transplant and my first day back to work part-time, but not, wait, but back to work with the too low hemoglobin level continues. We are finally heading in the right direction, up. Again, I will always be thankful to Janet, Janet selfless act of providing me with another chance at life and to all of her family members' support on her decision to donate. She will always be my angel on earth. Wow. So do you, uh, you, you know, I uh, I actually had that interview as my favorite for last year of all the, you know, thousand interviews uh-huh. I did. And uh, so I'm really glad to see that they're doing well. Yeah. I mean, and, and if anybody missed that, you can find that. That was uh, on December the 9th. It was the December show. Uh, you can just go back to horsesinthemorning.com and search for uh, Hit 'em for 12-9-2014. You can hear that interview about how, how the one friend donated the kidney to the other. And it was, it was amazing to see the results there. And, uh, uh, you know, and what happened in their their story, and it was just it's just a really cool story. And I don't know if we've lost Karen. Oh, no, can you hear Karen. me? Yeah, we can hear you. Uh, there you are. Yep. Okay. Well, I I just plugged in my um, headphones. Okay. Good. Yeah, I, so we were getting better? a little bit of an echo. Yeah, much better. Okay. No echo anymore. Okay. So, so well, it's this away. new this new computer I got, and. Um, everything's new on it. I'm kind of figuring it out. Um, they made it a little bit of a challenge. every time we get a new computer or a new phone, right? I mean, that's what happens every time I you get a know. new computer or a new phone. Everything's different. You, you have to figure sure it out. Everything works. And, you know, yesterday I tried to get Skype to work, and I had no no sound, no speakers, and I finally figured that out. And, um, you know, it's one of those touchscreen thingamajigs where, oh, you, like you know, that? I was – well, I like it, except, you know, part of it, it, it's kind of ironic. They tell you, you know, put your finger or, or whatever where the start button would be if you could see it, only you can't really see it, but it's really there. So <laughs> you're yeah, doing just take a wild guess and touch it somewhere in the start corner. Button. <laughs> yeah, please start, just, touch the invisible start button, and it'll be there. <laughs> it, yes, just where it would be if you could see it. Well, I can't see it, so <laughs> I know where it would be, you know. But I'm I'm working on it. I'm getting it figured out. <laughs> see, they don't make these for horse girls. They just don't make them for horse girls. I know, uh, but, because you know. If they made them for horse people, it would say, please touch the start button, and you would see the start button. See, that that would, would be the difference. It would say the word, Start on it. Start. Yeah, exactly. 
I know, and it, it doesn't. It's a little just circle in a lawn. No. I know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have an endurance tip for us this month. What do you got? I do. I'm going to talk uh, mention a, a, a couple of useful items to have for when you're traveling with your horses, especially if you're going camping, you know, in the forest or, you know, wherever, especially places like we go with our endurance rides. And what, the first item is a snatch strap, which it's a little different than a toe strap. It, it works, it, the ability for the strap to stretch, causing it to snap back, uh, gives, your, um, gives you the uh, ability to recover your vehicle if you get stuck or sink in sand or mud. And um, it's just a useful thing to have. We've had one for a few years. And mainly we've linked it out to other people, which is the the best way to have stuff like that is when you don't need it yourself because you're not getting stuck. Although we have used it ourselves, and it's a real useful thing to have. Um, I've never heard of one. You know, we always used to use chains, obviously, you know, for everything. Uh, And I'd never heard of a snatch strap. Ah, yeah, because it'll, you know, a toe strap, depending on, you know, how much you're pulling, you can do a little bit of damage Right, you right. know, you're trying to pull something out that's a little bit stuck, and you know, our face it, our rigs are getting heavier and bigger all the time. My rig weighs, uh, and I've had it on a scale around twenty-two thousand pounds. So my strap, um, I got a kind of heavy-duty one. It's rated for thirty thousand pounds, and it's about four inches wide. But that way, I know it's not going to break or something if, you know, it does need to get used. And and the other, I and those are um, easy to find. You can find them by just going to Amazon or eBay and type in snatch strap. And the other items are traction mats, which, uh, you know, they're. That you know you can use to help you get unstuck out of sand, mud, or snow. Um, the ones I have are called the portable tow truck. So if you go to Amazon, just type in portable tow truck, and it's it's a, a package of mats that have um, like the dimples on them, so so that they can kind of um, like kind of like a cleat and dig into the ground underneath and give you the traction. Uh, you put one under each wheel, and then keep, as you keep moving up, you can keep moving them forward to help get yourself unstuck out of a you know, spot. Um, and those are handy to have, especially if there's no one around to tow you out or anything like that. Because, you know, we can't all afford to have winches and stuff like that on our trucks. Those are, you know, kind of expensive. But these are a couple of items that are, you know, easy to pack away under the back seat of your, in your truck or put them in your trailer and and to have just in case you ever need them, they're going to be well worth the money spent. I was looking at your portable tow truck. And I I tell you what, I, we could have used those in Pennsylvania, Jennifer, and the few thousand times we got stuck in the snow and the mud. Uh, Those look great. And you know, they're not that expensive. They're like 35 bucks. Mm -hmm. Yes. And and compare that to the cost of having a tow truck come out and, and uh, get you unstuck. And you know, of course, beats sometimes digging. It, it beats kitty litter. See, that was the other option is you know using uh-huh. kitty litter, which which <laughs> right. never really worked for us all that well. So. I know <laughs> kitty litter, or you know you even try hay, or you know whatever you've got. But and I've seen rigs get unstuck. Actually, people borrowing our mat, our traction mats, where they were really stuck and. 
um, couldn't be pulled out even with another truck until they used our traction mats, and then they were able to get out. So these things really do work. Interesting. And it's no, it's no fun. And you can keep reusing them. You don't ever run out with the kitty litter. You use up the bag. You're S O L. Yeah, and then you always forget to put a new one in. Yeah, that's right. the other thing. Yeah. Right. And of course, they're kind of you know if you do use them to get out of mud, then you've got quite the mess. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Back of the truck. Well, that's the snatch strap and the traction mat. So you can find, uh, just search for those. Search for portable tow truck on Amazon. That's where I. That's what I did, and I did find it there. Very cool. Very cool. And they look like yeah. you can just put them anywhere, in the bed of the truck or behind the seat or whatever. Uh, right. So and and work, they're great yeah. for, you know, when you're traveling with horses or even when you're not. You, know, you just never know. Um, you know, some of us that live in, uh, at elevation and winter climates, you know, we can get stuck in our own driveways. <laughs> Right, which is usually the place we got stuck was in our own driveway. Exactly. I know. Yes. Well, <laughs> that sounds terrific. Well, you want to continue talking about products? You had a chance to catch up with Kristen Lacey of Distance Depot yesterday, and uh, you want to let's take a listen to that and see what you guys talked about. Well, good morning, Kristen. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Karen. Thanks for having me. This morning we're going to talk about the line of casual products that the Distance Depot carries. So uh, give us a little overview about some of these products and, um, you know, how they're helpful for endurance riders. Okay. Yeah. Yes, the casual brand has a – they really do have a pretty wide variety of items for trail riders. They, um, Of course, they're well known for their fly masks that everyone uses during the summer, but they do have um, – a quiet ride a fly mask line that you can use while you're out riding. It's um, made with a lighter weight mesh material um, and really super on those days, you know, when it's so hot and the bugs are so pesky. Um, right. So I, I've ridden in one, and they are a real lifesaver if there's biting gnats or mosquitoes. It makes the horses so much more comfortable to have one of those on. They're great. Yep, and they have, um, you know, a, a wide variety. We have some um, hay and gear bags uh, by Cashel that hold, um, you know, they'll hold your hay. You can send it out to a crewing area um, with a blanket in there and some other small items, and that's a really, it's a fairly new item to the Cashel line, but it's a really helpful um, asset uh, to bring along with you. When uh, you know, if you don't have crew, or if you do have crew, you can pile everything in there. It works. No, is, is that the one that's the rolling crew bag, so it has yeah. wheels on it? Oh, that's yeah, great. Yeah, so that makes it pretty handy. Yes, that looks like it would be really handy. Um, I'm looking at it on the the website on your website, and yes, it's the Cashel Cashel rolling crew bag. It looks like it's got plenty of room to carry everything you need for a vet check. It does. It's nice and roomy and very well made. Has big, sturdy zippers. It's it's pretty nifty. They also have a, a rolling bale bag that will hold a, a big, good sized bale of hay. Um, you know, big three strand bale of hay. So that's really nice too if you're traveling. That um, nicest part about that is you don't have to pick the bale up. You've that's got right. wheels. <laughs> I know it makes it so handy. Dang. Yeah, that is great. I know that that's really nice. It, it's hard, especially if you're traveling by yourself, to to be hauling the bales of hay around. Uh, anything that will help make your job easier for sure. Definitely. 
a very nice, um, it's called the Horseman's Knife, and it has several tools built into it. It's very small, so it will fit in your saddlebag if you want to throw it in there. It's good. You can pick out a rock or, um, you know, it it has a knife on it, too, in case you get into an emergency situation. Um, Pretty handy thing to have i think too that sounds handy to have and it, and one of the items that i think would be useful for riders that are out on the trail for a long period is the ankle safe yes they actually yeah it has um lots of pockets to put things in you can keep a flashlight and it does go right on your ankle so on the outside of your half chap if you wear them um pretty pretty handy place to reach right down and and grab something if you need it Right, and what kinds of things would you suggest putting in into that? Um, I suppose they, I believe it has an elastic strap for your um, for for a flashlight. Um, I think you could also put a hook pick. Let me see if they have other suggestions. Okay, um, I I like I like the sli- little slidey spot for your uh, lip balm. Oh yes, that's right. I like that a lot. That's great. Yes, okay, here here I, I've got the description. It'll hold a cell phone, smaller side pockets to hold your ID, cash, keys, and a whistle. And I'm I'm sure the chapstick as well. So that yeah. that would make it really convenient and easy access to have it strapped on your ankle. For wimpy people like me who ride less than twenty four hours at a time, um yeah. the the pocket on the side, it looks like they might have their whistle stuffed in there. You can get those rain jackets that fold down into the size of an oh, old-fashioned yeah, film canister great. would fit right in there because here in Florida, it rains every afternoon. So I'd be stuffing one of those little rain jackets inside <laughs> there. That could be handy. Yeah. This is a and great I like, item. Yeah, I like this. Uh, you have a Cashel water bottle GPS holder. Yes, it's very nifty. It has a, um, a, a nice strap that goes over the top of the water bottle to hold it secure so it won't bounce out, and then yes, a clear um, pocket for the G- um, your your cell phone or a GPS to be put into, yeah. or a camera. Yeah. yeah, that's really handy. So many riders nowadays are riding with GPSs and cameras, or even very large sized cell phones. Absolutely, yeah, and that would hold it perfectly. They also mm-hmm. have um, uh, for those who don't use a high tie, they do have a, a tying system, a Highline kit. Um, so it includes all of the items that you would need um, if you were out camping. Um, it has a, a, a swivel tie and, and gives you rope and tree saver straps, which are important, too, when you're using the high line. So it's all in one convenient kit for trail riders. It's really pretty awesome, too. Mm-hmm. And I see they've also got half and full trailer door organizers. Yes, those are the bomb. They You can put everything in there, your fly spray, your brushes, um, all easily, very easily attached to your trailer door. Yeah, that's a great way to get organized. Exactly. And if if you have one of those horses who just derives great joy in sticking his face into your your brush bucket or throwing it off the fender of the horse trailer while you're trying to groom, (laughs) yes, this is a good place to go. (laughs) So they really do have a lot of uh, trail riders. There are. They have a, a Velcro brush to clean your Velcro, which is great, you know, for those people that use hoof boots or um, any other items that attach with Velcro. Yes, we sell a lot of them with our heart rate monitors, the little Velcro electrodes that attach to your saddle pad. They always seem to get 
gummed up with hair, and that little brush will pluck that hair out of there really quickly. They're pretty handy. Uh huh. And they've got rump rugs and saddle packs. Yes, they do. Their saddle packs are. They have some really big, good-sized ones. So if you're planning a, you know, a, a long day ride, even, um, you know, and taking lots of friends with you, you can put a lot of stuff in there. And they have a good-sized um, container inside of the pack that will keep, you know, drinks and everything nice and cold. It's um, some of their packs are pretty good size. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting: the collapsible laundry slash hay bag. Yeah, <laughs> yes, you see a lot of people using that laundry bag instead of inside their trailer. They're putting it in their pen with their horse and filling it up with hay. So it has a, 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 a variety of uses, I guess. We all end up with hay on our clothes anyway. <laughs> That's right. Well, great. Well, tell us uh, how people can get in touch with you if they're interested in ordering any of these products. Well, of course, you can go to the website, thedistancedepot.com, or give us a call toll-free, 866-863-2349. We'd be happy to help. Well, thank you, Kristen. Thank you, Karen. Tell us about our first, well, that was Kristen Lacey of the Distance Depot, and you can uh, find her at thedistancedepot.com. Well, why don't you tell us about our first guest? Okay, our first guest is Donna Strand. Donna has been working with Bioscan and Red Photonic LED Light Therapy for decades. She's been very successful at helping heal or speed healing on uh, injuries and uh, just you know wear and tear and sore muscles and those kinds of things on our equine partners. And this therapy actually does have quite a bit of science to back it up. Um, to show that it actually does work on you know both humans and animals. All right, let's take a listen. Well, good morning, Donis. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us today. Well, hi, Karen. I'm glad that you asked me to talk. Well, I think it's an exciting topic. The um, the photonic red light therapy has a lot of uh, research behind it to back up that it's effective and that it works. And uh, I know you've been really helpful with um, helping me pinpoint some issues on my own horses and work through them. So give us um, maybe a little overview on what some of the benefits are of using this kind of therapy on a horse. Well, um, there's actually uh, about seven different things that I can think of right off the bat that uh, you can improve by exposing tissue, and that's human, horse, uh, dog, whatever, um, uh, individuals, uh, the first off, which we're all really concerned with, uh, is pain. And there's uh, an increase in the production of endorphins uh, to help you deal with that. Uh, There's also uh, an increased uh, boost of the anti-inflammatory enzymes that uh, reduce swelling, along with the suppression of the enzymes that create swelling. So just those two are something that we all deal with pretty regularly. Uh, the, the third thing can go along with just performance training or, say, post-operative or uh, other ways that you might want to uh, increase the um, time frame in which cells are replicated and do healing. So if you're starting a young horse and you're doing a certain amount of bone concussion, uh, of course you want to 
you know, uh, beef that up and make that happen as quickly as possible. So um, when you're talking about cellular re regeneration, uh, which the red light therapy goes right to the cellular level and starts your healing process there by accelerating uh, the production of ATP, which is the energy-rich molecule that um, uh, rebuilds the cell uh, inside the mitochondria. Uh, there's uh, an uptake in the damaged cells accepting the nutrients and the elements that uh, detoxify it faster. Uh, the other really interesting thing is that dam uh, damaged tissue has a tendency to vibrate at a lower level than healthy tissue, which is about 660 nanometers. And uh, so if you can, uh, it's almost like jump-starting a battery, that you can bring the damaged uh, tissue uh, up to a, a level that you can re-excite that uh, to the level of, uh, of healthy tissue, which helps it to uh, heal faster. Uh, it improves the lymphatic uh, drainage mechanism, so you can move fluids out of the, the body faster. Um, if you're thinking along the lines of chiropractics, uh, you can uh, help the muscle tone so that you relax the, the tight muscle, but you also restore strength uh, to hyperextended muscle tissue so that it can accept um, the uh, realignment of bones more easily and hold that new adjustment more readily. So that's really a, a benefit, too. And um, so uh, just in general, uh, you stimulate the collagen production to improve the structure of everything, tendon, bone, skin, teeth, cartilage, the whole nine yards. Uh, so just as an overview of, of the few things that photonic energy has been studied and shown to improve, uh, there's a short list. Uh, okay, well, I've, give us an example or two, if you have any that that, um, that come to mind right away, of horses that you've helped that have come to you with, you know, tell us what kind of problem and and then uh, explain what you did to treat it and then the results. Oh, well, I, actually, I have kind of an interesting, well, I have several interesting studies uh, that uh, one uh, uh Dr. Cliff Noretto in San Ynez is a specialist with um, uh, flat track uh, thoroughbred race, racing. And of course, the horses that go through uh, his facility are, you know, very expensive horses. And um, this one young mare in particular uh, had broken a, a bone, and uh, the owner flew a specialist uh, to put it back together from Australia and uh, had a specific time frame of healing uh, that he was expecting to fly back and take out uh, some of the metal screws and plates and so forth that he put in there. And so uh, uh, Dr. Noretto and I uh, began uh, exposing the surgery site uh, on the bone to red light uh, in the form of cluster lights, uh, uh, through Bioscan, uh, which I have been doing for about 30 years. And uh, a few weeks later, uh, he did uh, an x-ray on that site and called the doctor in Australia and said, you probably need to come back 
um, you know, this is a couple of months earlier than you thought, but you need to come back right away because we've regenerated the bone and accelerated this healing process to the point that the bone's starting to grow over some of the plates that you um, were thinking that you were going to remove. And so we had accelerated that particular uh, horse to the point where uh, <laughs> he needed to come back months earlier than he mm-hmm. thought the normal uh, healing time for that kind of surgery was going to be. Um, another strange example, uh, which I wasn't really um, expecting, but I got a call from Dr. Marsha Schrader, uh, who is in the... the the Delta area of uh, uh, California, uh, Knights in Brentwood, that area down below Sacramento, and uh, she said that one of her clients had a very expensive mare that uh, produced a, a, a young, uh, well, of course, young, brand new baby, and it's what they call a, a, a dummy full in which the brain is functioning fine, the body is fine. But the connection between the brain and the body to to activate its capability of nursing and standing and that sort of thing, it, the the connection just isn't there. Mm-hmm. So um, the the baby was uh, in the intensive ward at uh, Davis, and uh, Marcia and I drove down there and I uh, gave the baby a couple of treatments. And she hadn't been able to nurse or stand for uh, about three days, and they were afraid they were going to lose the mare as well. Uh, so we gave her uh, the treatment and uh, uh, helped the baby to stand, and she was able to continue to stand. And mm-hmm. later on that night, nursed. And the next day, we went back and uh, gave her another treatment, and uh, they gave her a little crash helmet because uh, it took her a little while to get uh, fully coordinated. But within just that shorter period of time and exposure to the red light, um, we were able to um, help the nervous system make that connection and we're able to save that baby. So those are a couple of the really phenomenal things that I've had happen. But um, with the massage light in particular, uh, all these years I've been hoping for a product that I would be able to give to my clients that they could do the work themselves. Mm-hmm. Because um, I use a scanner, I look at the specific places the, the treatment needs to go and, you know, all this stuff. Uh, it, it's pretty hard to get all of that kind of information and um, uh, equipment for yourself. Right. So the, the massage light was like a gift from God that said, here is a very simple, straightforward application of red light coupled with the soothing effects of massage that anybody can do. And uh, and the horses yeah. love it. Well, some horses, when you first give it to them, they're, they're apprehensive because they don't understand the feeling. And, and the way I got started with, with the photonic energy is I was asked to do... Um, a product testing, and I I had quite a number of of rehab horses that were being followed by various veterinarians uh, from Hollywood Park on the racetrack uh, down in California. And uh, so what happened was I was using those lights for that study and having physical problems of my own. 
And um, in a, a night of desperation of not being able to sleep and being in a lot of pain myself, I used the lights on me so I know how they feel. Well, that, of course, begs the question, what does it feel like, uh, Donis? You know, it's like having your leg fall asleep and um, that tingling sensation. It doesn't really hurt, but it's it's not a sensation that you would choose. It's unfamiliar, uh, yeah. It's very unfamiliar, and it can upset the horses when you, when you start that process. Right. But it goes all the way from there to like a tickling sensation where you tell somebody, you know, when you're working right on those nerves to say, okay, don't laugh, don't move, don't jiggle around, don't respond, mm-hmm. tickling them until they can hardly breathe. You know, it just doesn't happen. So when you work on the nervous system, sometimes it's a little unnerving to the horses. Okay, Donis, um, how about an example of um, how your therapy, your red light therapy, has helped a performance horse? Oh, thank you for asking that. Um, Because performance horses basically utilize their body correctly, biomechanically correct, um, all of them just about the same way to get optimum use of their body. Um, The use of the the massage light uh, can be used in a cranial sacral manner in which you address many of the basic muscle structures that give you uh, enhanced performance. So um, as you're looking at a horse that's moving correctly, they're going to be lifting up through the flank into the loin, giving you a rounding up over the top of the gluteal muscle and down into the hamstring muscle in which they sit and drive you forward mm-hmm. instead of using their shoulders and the pectoral muscle and the front legs to literally drag you forward. Um, so in, in utilizing some massage and some red light exposure to these general areas of performance, you can enhance the ability of the horse to correctly posture in which they drive at their optimum strength to give you their best performance. Uh, One of the ways that um, you can utilize this concept is if you are in a performance venue in which you need to travel. You stick your horses in the trailer and you go from California to, say, Montana or Texas or another any other long haul uh, thing that you might be thinking of, by the time they have steadied themselves in the trailer for a protracted period of time, all those muscles that I was just describing are already tense mm-hmm. and they, they are already possibly taxed to their maximum limit of of almost at the level of being in, a, in spasm. And so if you utilize the, the massage and red light combination when you arrive at your venue, you can almost completely el- eliminate all that tension in the muscle that as you go into, say, a vet check for endurance, your horse is going to be at 100% of their capability when you vet in and not be at a negative that you've already taken 30, 40, 50% of their capability away 
by your trailer ride. So just in that simple concept, you can help your horse perform better when you get there. So if you were to have a, a set of the massage lights like I have, how often should I work with them on my horse, just as a general rule for maintenance? Well, um, one of the things is, as I was just talking about, is every time you travel, mm-hmm. it, there, it, it, you, you help your horse incredibly to, to remove that tension. If you're doing it on a, a training level, as you uh, are working, say, let's start with a young horse, all that muscle tissue is, is untrained and, and unseasoned. And so as, when you return, you can eliminate that buildup of um, tension in, the, in those muscles and structures as, they're, as you're trying to push, move them through your mm-hmm. training program. And you can help to accelerate your program without harming the muscle tissue or souring their attitude by pushing them into a point where they ache and hurt so much that they don't want to perform and do their job uh, as they're learning to do their job. Um, If you are already riding a fairly well-seasoned individual, say at a 25-mile a limited distance level, and you want to move up to 50s, as you increase that um, stress on the, the structure as it's seasoning to longer distance and, and longer, harder rides, uh, you can do the same thing. You can remove that tension. So if you do it just briefly in the, the hamstring area, the saddle fit area, maybe mm-hmm. over the gluteals, um, give them a moment or two uh, to the tendons. Uh, I like to place uh, one of the units on either side of the tendons on all four legs. Just that much takes you maybe 10 minutes uh, when you return uh, will improve your your speed of training uh, immeasurably. If you have a horse that's broken and you're trying to fix something, treating that horse as many times as you have time, uh, two or three times a day, if you wish, mm-hmm. every day, like every morning or every afternoon, or uh, you know, give them a once-over, um, you know, a couple of times a, a, a week. These are completely safe, right? There's no side effects or you know anything to worry about overdoing it. That is the absolute beauty of photonic energy. You can basically at the at the LED-generated level, you could put those massage units on a piece of tissue so batteries go dead, and the <laughs> body will only receive as much energy as it needs at that moment, and the rest is nothing, and nothing happens. And so there's, there's, there's no place that you can put it, and there's no length of time that you can use it that could do damage to the horse. And that's the beauty of this particular type of therapy for someone who's doing it on their own horse. Well, this has been very interesting, Donna, and we're just about out of time. Um, Give us your website address for um, anybody that's listening that might be interested in learning more. Perfect. Um, uh, It is www.massagelight.com. 
and that's no caps or spaces. And uh, my phone number's on there. If you have other questions, give me a jingle. I'd love to okay. talk to you. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. I, I have uh, enjoyed this. Thank you so much. That's interesting. You know, a lot of the professional riders now are using light therapy and have bought their own units so that they can do it on their horses when they're traveling and at home, both. Mm -hmm. Right. I imagine for the endurance riders, it would even be more important. I think it is, you know, especially given how far we often trailer our horses to ride. It's a a great way, and, and, and the horses are getting a double benefit out of um, like the massage lights that Donis has, because they're getting a massage at the same time they're getting right. the, the red LED light therapy, and um, and like she said, you know, some horses at first may not be all that comfortable because you've kind of got to work through some of their maybe soreness and issues. But then once you do, they get to where, like my horse Bo. I mean, he just licks his lips and puts his head down and lets out a big sigh. He just loves it when I work on him. With these. Well, do- Dr. Ellen was listening from New York City, and she wrote a very interesting show about light therapy. And I asked her, does it work on people too? And she responded and said, yes, light therapy for skin, for seasonal affective disorder, for jaundice, uh, for muscles. We use ultrasound therapy more often. So, uh, yeah, they are using them on, on humans as well. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, very good. Well, let's do this. Uh, let's hear about Renegade Hoofboots, and then we'll go on to Jared Rogerson with his song, Same Dark Trail. I thought it was appropriate okay. for January. So, uh, but well, let's hear about Renegade, uh, Renegade Hoofboots first. Renegade Hoofboots. They come in several different colors, which is great. Um, they're a well-made, American-made product made in Arizona. Uh, they have a couple of different models. They also have a glue-on version. I prefer the strap-on version just because uh, they're so easy to use. You, you know, I can go out, throw on a pair or four boots in only five minutes, go for a ride, take them off, and I'm done. Uh, they're great. I've used them on all kinds of rides, including Tevis, um, multi-days, um, you know, single-day rides, <clears throat> a lot of training rides in all kinds of conditions and stuff. Uh, my horses move very well in them. They're very comfortable in them. They offer great protection. Uh, those that have horses that might have other issues going on with sensitivity, they can be ordered with a built-in gel pad made in them. Uh, the company uh, is great about working with people that do have, you know, any individual, you know, needs for, for their horse, uh, give them a call. Go to renegadehoofboots.com, and uh, you can uh, learn more about the boots there. And uh, it's a great product. I have a quick question for you, Karen. Are they okay when you pick them up perceptually? Are they heavy, or are they? Do you pick them up and go, oh wow, that's really lightweight for what I'm holding in my hand? Um, you know, they do look kind of big and bulky, but they only really weigh usually, you know, an average one, like size one is probably going to weigh about a pound, which isn't very far off from what a metal shoe would, oh, would okay. weigh, you know, with the nails. So it's attached. really not going to have a detrimental effect on your movement because, you know, you don't want to be it putting a lot of weight on the bottom know, of your feet. Yeah. Right. Some some horses, if they travel real close, you know, they may be more likely to ding themselves and they may need to learn to get used to moving with the boots or, you know, some horses just need to 
to wear leg boots as well, like, you know, mm-hmm. tendon boots or ankle boots. Um, you know, most horses learn how to go in them without interfering, though. And uh, it, it's a great way to manage your horses because you don't, you know, it's so nice to not have to worry about, you know, setting up farrier appointments and, and all that kind of stuff it, it, if you can keep your horses barefoot uh, and provide the hoof protection just when it's needed, then the rest of the time, especially for people that aren't riding a lot or their horses get time off during the winter or during the hottest part of the summer, um, you know, there's right. no need to keep paying for shoeing your horse when, you know, you just go on a set of renegades and go ride and take them off and put the horse back out again and, and you're done. Good to go. And, yeah, and it's great because on their website at RenegadeHoofBoots.com, they really do show you how to measure so that you can wear them once and don't have to worry about uh, sending them back. They they have the pictures there, the charts, everything you're going to need to figure out uh, the measurements. They even have a uh, inches versus millimeters uh, chart there that you can figure that mm-hmm. out as well. So it's very simple, very easy to do, RenegadeHoofBoots.com. Well, let's hear from Jared and- Rogerson today. With his song, Same Dark Trail, and then we're coming back. We have a veterinarian coming up who's also an accomplished endurance rider. And today we're going to talk about what to look for in an endurance horse when you're, when you're uh, out shopping, right? So uh, we're going right. to do that uh, coming up today and also what to look for in a pre-purchase exam because it's probably a little bit different for endurance horses. We'll be right back. In the darkest canyon With ghosts at every turn I'd crossed a thousand raging rivers And swore I'd never learn The answer to a question I didn't even know Down the same dark trail You were traveling alone Two thousand miles away from home Into the western sunset You did wrong A hard way to go Down the same dark trail We were lost And found each other And not many
trail That's Jared Rogerson with Same Dark Trail. You can find all of his music at jaredrogerson.com. You're listening to Horses in the Morning. I'm Glenn McGeek here with Karen in our Endurance Day. What are you doing over there, Karen? It sounds like you're beating up your microphone. Uh, and also we have Coach, <laughs> Coach Jen with us also as well. And I wanted to let everybody know that uh, Jamie will be back tomorrow for our Wednesday show. And then on Thursday... We have Mary Kitzmiller and the Mary Kitzmiller episode that we do once a month talking about training and starting babies and things like that. So if you enjoy Mary and a little bit of cult starting, of course, Mary is known for for being one of the only female competitors ever at Road to the Horse and is back again this year as a wild card competitor. And she is absolutely lovely. We're looking forward to having her back for her second uh, monthly episode on Thursday. All right, Karen, uh, we, we have, after our next guest, I wanted to tease this and let everybody know, we have one of, another one of Karen's famous poems. Now, is this one on endurance, too? Of course it is. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Well, we'll hear that after our next guest, but let's get to, uh, let's get to Dr. Julie next. Okay, our next guest is Dr. Julie Bullock. She's an equine veterinarian and an accomplished endurance writer. She's written... Um, for over 20 years and has more than 3,000 miles. She's going to talk to us today about what to look for in an endurance horse and some of the things that we might have done during a pre-purchase exam. Um, Good morning and welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning to you. I understand you had a late night or early morning. I (laughs) I did. I did. You know, the age-old trailer plug problem that needs to be repaired before you can hit the road. Oh, no. <laughs> We've all had that. <laughs> oh, Absolutely. there's nothing worse than wiring on a trailer. That is, the, that is the bane of every horse person's existence. If you've ever had an older trailer and had to replace the wiring, ugh, I hate it. Yep. Oh, I'm yep. You're, <laughs> you're, you're right on target there. <laughs> <laughs> and why is it that wire, a car can, the wiring in a car can last for for you know, 300,000 miles, but a trailer, it seems to last like two weeks after you buy it, and then the wiring goes out. I don't know if it's the squirrels or just, uh, I don't know what it is, but. Oh. Right. Sorry. You right. got me going, Julie. I did. I did. <laughs> okay, well, uh, Julie, give us a, just kind of a, a little bit of your opinion on what, say someone is interested in getting an endurance horse, what should they look for? Uh, a good brain. <laughs> a brain is always <laughs> helpful, but uh, you know, is there I, a scan for that? Do you have a machine? You know, we just talked yeah, about. Yeah, there's an app. There's an app for that. We plug them in overnight. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just hold my horse. phone up to it and look on the app and right. it says yes, a sound, yeah. sane horse. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> well, the the thing about an endurance horse is that you know there's many many breeds that are. Uh, capable of performing in, you know, endurance tasks. So there's going to be some some breed differences in confirmation, but, you know, you really have to start with the confirmation of the horse to to have something that is going to stand up for the demands we put on it, and especially if we're looking at longevity. Um, I think that horses in general, I know I'm personally very critical of feet. Uh, A large part Mm -hmm. of my practice is podiatry, and it goes without saying that no foot, no horse, um, because that is, you know, they, these animals take thousands and thousands of steps training, 
and competing, whether you're doing just limited distance or you're doing 100 mile races. So I, you know, I look for a foot that I mean, I, I, I like a large foot, but a small foot is not necessarily a, a deal breaker. It's nice if the foot sort of fits the size of the horse. The thing mm-hmm. that I would stay away from is a, a particularly an exceptionally flat foot is not good. An animal that's uh, flat-footed, and, and there's some breeds that are more prone to this than others, like thoroughbreds and thoroughbred crosses, they don't tend to have enough sole depth to protect the coffin bone. So you're constantly having to, to add some kind of protection to that foot in the way of a shoe or a pad or a boot to protect the coffin bone. Um, to me, a, you really want to stay away from an animal that has um, a club foot. Mm-hmm. Because you're already with a club foot, you're already starting to push the rock uphill, and those animals usually have some kind of a leg length disparity. So you've got one leg that's already a little bit longer. So you've got you know mismatched feet that you're that you're dealing with. Um, the other problem we have with endurance horses is uh, bruising the coffin bone, and there again, that kind of goes back to trying to stay away from that flat foot. You want mm-hmm. a horse with um, a robust foot, you know, strong heels. Um, in, in decent angles. Um, so that's, you know, one thing I would start with is a feet. And then the next mm-hmm. thing would be just, you know, and stop me if you want to interject, um, but I can't stress good feet um, enough. And I think right. confirmation, well, go ahead. That's a good place to start, definitely, with the feet. That's how I chose uh, my horse, Chief, the one that, that I've done 14,000 miles on. Actually, I started with his feet. <laughs> yep. Karen, you are dead. You're spot on. I always start with the feet. I just I can't help. I, any horse I walk up to, the first thing I look <laughs> at is his feet, and then I you know, go up the, the front limbs. So you know, a horse that's straighter the better, more correct in his front limbs, um, a horse that toes out excessively, that horse is gonna, it, you know, that horse is gonna interfere. He's gonna hit each fetlock with the opposite foot, or he's gonna actually mm-hmm. hit his splint bones or his cannon bones. So those animals, um, and they're definitely gonna hit the more fatigued they become. So that animal is gonna need to be protected with leg boots. And I prefer not to have any extra. Uh, clothing wear on the horse than I can avoid. Mm-hmm. It's just one more thing to twist and turn and have to powder or keep up with or forget right, to put on or forget to take off. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. <So> I think, <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, if you, one that toes in slightly is going to win over one that toes out. Okay. Um, but the towing, the towing in or towing out, if it toes in or toes out excessively right at the fetlock, those horses I would also be put lower on my list because it's it's very critical to get these animals to land flat, meaning as they're trotting, walking and trotting, trotting more than walking, that that foot hits the ground pretty symmetrical because if it lands, you know, harder on one side and it, that hoof capsule comes around, slaps the other side, and then sort of the whole bony column has to move around, then you start putting abnormal stresses on one side of the hoof capsule and on one side of the leg. So, and that's mm-hmm. true across the board. Doesn't matter what the breed. Uh, the other fun thing to talk about, though, is that smaller horses 
are probably, in the long run, easier to keep sound than big horses, but larger horses seem to be easier to sell. Mm-hmm. Right, because they have to carry their own weight in addition to yours. And it, I know part of some of the research that's been done, like at Tavis, it showed um, that it was the total combined weight that factored in on their success or not. Right, right, exactly. I, I think that's, that is dead on. Um, so going, following along with my pre-purchase exam, you know, you know, everybody likes a pretty head, but that doesn't matter, you know, you only can really it's see the inside. ears when you're riding. It, so that's inside. You know, from a pre-purchase standpoint, um, I would try to get a horse that has two eyes that are working um, as opposed to a horse that has a sight deficit in one eye. Um, mm-hmm. You know, horses can acclimate to that and do just fine. Um, I'm not sure I would want to do the Tevis Trail on a horse that could only see out of one eye. Right. Um, <laughs> Um, a short, strong. That's probably ride. more important for uh, tra- uh, endurance riders than than many other disciplines too. I would think. It's true. Yeah. What's interesting is that in the hunter world, you cannot show a horse has one eye or is blind in one eye, but the jumpers, it's acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. okay, and because I mean, really, it's all about depth depth perception. Um, but you know, we all know wonderful horses that that can only see out of one eye and uh and it's and they're fine. And I know mm-hmm. there have been some inventors that have done it too, you know, and, and uh right. done right. it up to the yes, higher some, levels. Yeah. Yep, some three day event horses and I know a fair number of endurance horses. And I know some school horses and trail horses that you know, so anyway, but if you're doing a pre purchase exam and you have the option, I'd start with two eyes. Okay. That, and then obviously a neuro exam, you know, a neurologic exam and make sure you're not starting with something that has some kind of a, a deficit. Jeez, Dr. Julie, next you're going to want them to have four legs. I mean, what? I know it. I, just, you know, I, I, I'm so I'll picky. I'm so picky. I know. I know. <laughs> but I guess, you know, a short, strong back, but realizing there's breed differences because when you start looking at national show horses, you know, you start adding in a saddlebred Arabian, you're going to get a longer back, as with other breeds. But I would err towards a strong, short back, and it also depends, Karen, and I know you know this, is am I going to have a horse that I'm just going to have in Florida its whole life where it's going to be on flat ground doing a lot of cantering, or am I going to have a horse that I want to take to the Old Dominion or to the Tevis or, mm-hmm. you know, the Bighorn? Am I going to take an animal that I want to be able to be um, really handy on a technical course? Uh, I just mm-hmm. vetted a ride a couple weeks ago, and the long, the big, longer, the big horses that were, you know, beautiful cannery machines, boy, they had a really tough time on the course because it was very technical through the woods with sharp little turns. So the little mm-hmm. horses really, you know, they had a good day. They had fun. So, you know, confirmation as far as a pre-person exam and an endurance horse is where do you live and, and a little bit of what are your goals? You know, I okay. if I'm doing a lot of trotting downhill, you know, I'm going to want a shorter coupled horse. I'm definitely mm-hmm. going to stay away from a really long back, and I'm going to stay away from, I'm, I'm always going to stay away from a horse that is straight in the stifles and the hocks because those, you're going to have a lot more hind limb soundness issues. Um, and sometimes it's just muscle issues, but you're definitely, definitely 
want to stray away from that if you can. And how much weight do you put into considering how the horse was brought up as a youngster, whether they were living in a turnout situation or kept in a small pen, you know, for the first, you know, few years of their life? I think I think that it makes a, a big difference on some of these range-raised uh, animals that have mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, honestly, that have a lot of hills to go up and down and have to fend for themselves a little bit. I think that they do come with a sort of an innate um, self-preservation attitude. You know, mm-hmm. they, they tend not to be as picky about water. They'll drink anything. They'll eat anything. Um, you know, I, I know I've I've purchased several from, you know, a breeder in West Virginia, and, you know, we'll go out to what we call the Brumby Field. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, you're not going to get very close to them, but you'll, you know, I've picked out several horses, you know, kind of long range, run them into something, and, and those horses are, uh, they are tough as nails. Their, their feet are, you, you get a good idea of, of footwear, on them because they don't get a lot of foot care once they're turned out after you know mm-hmm. the weanling yearling age. So I, you know, honestly, given the choice, I would, you know, I would err on the side of a horse that's been range, you know, more of a range raised. Okay. Um, and that reminds me that you know a lot of times we buy horses off the racetrack, and so just the wear and tear of training, even if they haven't raced. Um, having worked on a thoroughbred racetrack, there's a certain amount of wear and tear that goes into just training those animals, and um, especially on their fetlocks. So those mm-hmm. you want to, if if you buy something off the track, I really really encourage, um, you know, flexion tests and some radiographs to make sure you're not getting some damaged goods. Okay, and and so let's say you've got your your prospect and you take it to the vet to have your pre-purchase exam done. What things would you recommend having done as a minimum, and what things would clue you in to check further, like by um, continuing on to do, um, you know, the radiographs or ultrasounds? Well, I do, you know, I do my hoof check, you know, I do my confirmation evaluation first, and so that gives me an idea of where there's some built-in strengths and weaknesses. And then, you know, I'll do, we'll trot them out and we'll do circles and then I'll do flexion tests after I've done my hoof testers. And so if anything is positive on flexion, that for sure, that's something I'm going to go look for, mm-hmm. look at in depth. So um, I just did, I don't know, maybe eight purchase exams um, this past week. And, you know, these horses are upper level endurance horses. So just as as an example, you know, we did flex all these guys and then we radiographed their feet, their fetlocks, their front fetlocks and their hocks, and then just took, you know, one view of flexed knee carpus there, you know, that just to make sure there wasn't any chip or anything. And I would say probably half of these horses had come off of a Arabian racetrack. And a fair number of these, you know, I, I can say not a fair number, but, you know, maybe 10 or 20% are positive on flexion of the front limb and, you know, already show some wear and tear on the fetlocks. And and you'll see some swelling there, some either increased mm. uh, puffiness over the joint or, or thickening there. And they're uncomfortable. 
even when you just passively flex them, when you just pick up that leg and put a little pressure on it, they they don't care for that at all. So, yeah. And this is definitely a do as I say, don't do as I do, because I <laughs> I have never done a purchase exam on any of the horses I have bought. But I also have gotten a lot of horses that have never even been broke. You know, they you okay. know get them out of the Brumby uh-huh. field. Right. So if you do you shouldn't do it. Right. I actually haven't ever done a pre-purchase exam either. <laughs> so, um, but you, I mean, you know, and I, Karen, you're experienced and. Ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we also have one here that's a doctor and one that's a very experienced endurance rider, so that makes a difference, too. If you're just getting into it for the first time, you might want to have that done. Absolutely right. I would definitely yeah, yeah. Um, I would definitely take someone, whether whether you have, you know, a person exam is a great idea, but always take an experienced horseman with you. Um, mm-hmm. Good idea. And if you do come across the horse that has a positive on the flexion, um, is that something that you recommend can be managed, or would you recommend passing on that horse? No, you know, um, it can be, you know, that's when it comes down to the the uh, horse owner's pocketbook and, um, you know, what their goals are for the horse. Are they looking for a decade horse, or as we know, there are a lot of people that buy and and sell horses. So you know, some of those flexions can be can be easily managed with um, mm-hmm. just some maintenance therapy, which you know we inject that fetlock with uh, some steroid and hyaluronic acid, just because it's in, it's inflamed the um, the nerve endings in the joint capsule are unhappy. And you know, radiographically, there's no there are no changes in there. So many of those horses, you'll inject them, and you can come back in five days and reflex them, and they're totally, totally oh, happy. Cool. So yes, cool. a lot of this is very manageable. Right, and really, well, there's it's hard to find a perfect horse, you know. <laughs> right. They all well, exactly. Something exactly. Dr. Julie, then, what would you, know, you say the biggest mistake people make? Uh, if they if there's one mistake you see over and over and over again, what is it? Other than other than you know, like a teenage girl falling in love and and disregarding everything else, or is that the biggest well, mistake? Well, and that even for that adults? is that is the biggest <laughs> mistake. I they yeah. fall in love with it. It doesn't matter how many holes I find in the horse. Oftentimes, they've already decided on that horse, no matter what, and it's. You cannot talk them out of buying it. The other thing is, <laughs> and it doesn't matter whether a teenage girl or a fifty-year-old woman. Doesn't three, matter. Oh yes, yeah, no, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> it's amazing, but the other thing is that folks that buy for color, they'll buy for color, believe it or not, or they'll. There are some that you know. Obviously, there are folks that buy for bloodline. Um, period. Mm-hmm. And I think that the other common thing is they'll buy a mare and she may have a lot of holes in her. Well, I'll just breed her. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. well, it's really, now you're really starting to try to improve on a lot of deficiencies. I'm not saying it can't be done, but I would start, you know, why start with, uh, so maybe, <laughs> you know, a fixer-upper 
we talk about that all the time on the show. It's you know, we're, we're, it seems like we're we're beating breeding the worst of them because we can't do anything else with them, and that's Absolutely. not the idea. Yep. It's yeah. not really what that's we're trying. Exactly. It's not what we're trying to right. contribute to the gene pool at this point. Right, exactly. Um, the gene pool. I would I would love to see us with performance horses. You know, because you have your halter horses, and that's a whole. You know, say for instance, yeah, the quarter horse yeah. industry. They can't yeah. get out of their own way. I mean, so why don't we take the the top three in a performance class or the top five in any kind of performance class and then put them in a halter class? And then, because then you are looking at confirmation, form, and function. Now mm-hmm. we're looking at the confirmation and seeing how it actually produced an an athlete. Well, that so leads we, we to a product, Dr. Julie. You and I need to develop the chastity belt for uh, for mares that shouldn't breed. What <laughs> right. do you think? And we'll, and, we'll yeah, be the yeah, only yeah. ones with the key. We'll hold the right. key. I think that's brilliant. <laughs> that's brilliant. Um, I don't know how much time we have, but there, I have a few other uh, little things just to stay away from right. and some other things that I could ask right. about. Okay. Let's horses. do them quickly. Let's do them quickly. All right. So basically, I'd stay away from bowed tendons and suspensories. If it's if it's mm-hmm. had that injury previously, that's a deal breaker for me. Um, I prefer a nicely angled shoulder versus a straight upright shoulder. For I think longer pasterns are better than short pasterns because you're adding to the whole shock absorption package uh-huh. versus relying totally on the hoof capsule uh, to and do all the absorption. To, to ride. Very much so. More comfortable. Then the other thing that we asked about a lot probably has to do with pulsing ability. And the thing about what, how quickly a horse pulses can be just, there's some horses that are just genetics, genetic freaks. They're, they're mm-hmm. going to pulse down quickly no matter how much conditioning they have or how little conditioning. Right. Um, and so that can involve something called vagal tone. And it can also involve heart size. And so unless you start doing heart ultrasounding and getting um, scoring the heart size, so that's mm-hmm. that's a lot of the big guys, the big dogs are doing this on our thoroughbred racehorses and our Arabian racehorses and our endurance horses is they're trying to go with mm. a bigger heart girth or definitely a bigger heart size, uh, thinking that that's going to give them an edge, and it probably does for um, – for being able to run at a faster rate and a lower, faster speed, a lower heart rate, so that's that's getting a little fancier than our than yeah, our normal uh, purchase exam. That's going to run your costs way up on a pre-purchase exam, I would think. Right, right, definitely. Okay, well, we are just about out of time, and we appreciate you coming on the show and um, giving us this information. It's definitely a um, Important topic for endurance riders looking to get their, especially their first endurance horse. Right, right, righto. So either have a personal exam or take or call Karen and have her come with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Especially You're if welcome. it's in Florida right now or someplace really Absolutely. warm. Karen. Yes, I'll come to Florida. <laughs> Let's go to Florida. All personal exams can only be done in Florida. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Julie. Uh, do you have a website? All right. I do have a website. What is it? 
what is my website? I can never remember. <laughs> it's drjuliebullock.com. That's simple enough, Dr. Julie Bullock, and that's spelled B-U-L-L-O-C-K. Thank you very much, and uh, good luck in 2015. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Julie. Thank you, you guys. All right, that's Dr. Julie. Well, that that was a lot of good information. I know that we have some people that have gotten interested in doing endurance riding or said they really want to get into it. Uh, so, so hopefully for for the new people out there too, this will be something that they can they can take something from because I think that's the one part that we're all a little frightened of is buying the wrong horse. Uh, you know, so it, it, right. no matter what and discipline you, we're in, right? Yeah, and sometimes you just get lucky, and and sometimes you don't. I've seen horses that have passed uh, very elaborate pre-purchase exams and and then couldn't get through a fifty. So, you know, most of the time that doesn't happen. It's just one of those anomalies. So, you know, there's no guarantee. But, you know, having a good vet do a pre-purchase exam can, you know, at least it's one more thing that's going to hopefully make you a little more successful by having that done by a knowledgeable vet and and getting good advice. And it sounds like uh, Julie definitely knows her stuff. How about how much you know? She talked about the size of the heart. She was talking about the physical size, but let's talk about mm-hmm. the emotional size of the heart. That's got to have a lot to do with it when it comes oh, to I endurance, know. just like it does with the people. Like I don't know that I could do an endurance race like you do. I don't have you know my heart is not in it, you know, figuratively or literally <laughs> for that matter. Um, but you know, it's got to be the same with the horse, right? It is, you know, you know the horses that love their jobs, and and those horses can overcome, you know, a lot. Like she talked about, some of the holes a horse might have, some of the defects, you know, because a lot of them do have flaws, and and I think their heart can make up for that in some cases. Um, and I've seen so many horses do well. You know, they look like they're put together by committee, and they still do well. <laughs> right. Right. No, very good. Well, we have time. Do you want to read your poem? I'm dying to hear it now. You've been teasing it. I haven't seen it yet. So, Okay. This is, uh, I wrote this actually 15 years ago, and it's I Want to Be a Pony Express Rider. And this is my poem. A visions of the trail fill my mind, desire to fill horse flesh to inhale the scent of sweat, dreaming of the day we trot through the cool, brisk morning air as we race out of sight. Saddling my favorite mount, excitement in the air, feeling the thrill, our destiny. Honored to cover the tracks of such famous horse and men. Recognize their accomplishments and respect their ability. The feeling deep inside overwhelms. Why are we here? A dream many cannot understand when an email can send the same information in seconds that a Pony Express rider risks life and limb. The dream to go back in time and live and ride like the Pony Express rider way before our time. Is this a fantasy or a reality? Excitement consumes. How lucky could I be? Grandma always said I was born in the wrong time. A shower is nice. Clean fingernails divine. But give me a saddle sore. You'll not hear me whine. 2,000 miles. Is it really that far? Shut my eyes and imagine. Time to stop dreaming. It's nearly time the trail awaits. Let's ride. Very good. I liked it. Yay. <laughs> I wrote that um, 15 years ago before going on a 2,000-mile cross-country pony express ride from St. Joseph. And, and did it live to... up to uh, the poem? Uh, yeah, actually it did. It was a pretty amazing summer um, 
lots of adventure. <laughs> I learned a lot. Um, it, it was a tough, you know, tough mentally and physically to, to do that. But uh, for what we got out of it, it was pretty amazing. You know, I, uh, it was interesting. I was reading before we started the show today, I was on a, uh, a blog that is written by uh, endurance hikers who have done the Appalachian Trail. And mm-hmm. I was reading some of their things. Some of the people who had done it for the first time last year were writing about it. And they always start in the spring, and they usually start in Maine and then head to Georgia. And then also the ones who have done the Pacific, <clears throat> the Pacific Trail, which goes from Mexico to Canada. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, it's, yeah, I drew, drew a lot of correlations to the endurance riders. Now, uh-huh. you know, it, it would be more like the 2,000-mile r- ride that you did than the daily rides because those guys are out there for six months doing this. Uh, so, you know, but it was interesting, the correlations on endurance. And uh, it, uh, there was a quote that was in there. There were a couple quotes that I found in these blogs and I thought was interesting and, and you'll relate to. One was, the first one was from Albert Einstein, and he said, I know quite certain certainly that I myself have no special talent. This is Albert Einstein now. I have no special talent. Curiosity, obsession, and dogged endurance combined with (laughs) self-criticism have brought me to my ideas. Uh, So that was Albert Einstein saying, I have no talent. It's just that I'm I'm obsessive and, Uh uh, you know, I just keep going. And, you know, I got to believe that there's endurance riders out there, you know, that are hitting 70 miles that are thinking the same thing. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> New, New Balance had an advertisement, uh, the, the shoe, that said happiness is pushing your limits and watching them back down. And that's got to mm-hmm. be something you do in every ride, right? You sure can. Some are definitely tougher than others, you know, to get uh, through. And now the one that I think fits uh, all the endurance riders out there, and this is Alberto Salazar wrote this one. I had as many doubts as anyone else. Standing on the starting line, we're all cowards. So wow. that's very <laughs> that's very interesting. <laughs> Everybody on the starting line, you know, you're all starting at the same point mentally and you know, so maybe not physically, but you're all starting at the same point mentally. So it's uh, yeah, I, I think that those were fun, and I found those on a hiking site. But you know, there's not a lot of difference wow. when it comes cool. down to endurance, cool. is there? Right. They're, the hikers are doing it themselves, you know, on foot, but uh, endurance riders, you know, we often get off and do, you know, sometimes a few miles in a day on foot on some of the, you know, more technical rides to give our horses a break. Right, right. And, you know, y- y- yes, you're sitting, but you're still riding. <laughs> still, you are. Something. Jennifer, Jennifer went on a two-hour trail ride the other day and came back and said, I don't think I'm ready for endurance yet. So, uh, so, you know, it's still something you, 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 I admire what kind of shape you're all in. That's for sure. And, uh, and I don't think I'm going to be doing any in driving endurance soon. I just don't know that my, my slow hackney pony is cut out for it. Uh, speaking about heart, he has his heart in one thing and that's eating. That seems to be the only (laughs) thing he has. It could be because he was starved when I got him. I don't know, but I haven't gotten him past the point where he's obsessed with just eating. That seems to be not working. Figured out, you know, that's actually a real important trait to have for an endurance course. So, you You know, know, he's going to keep practicing on that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
Well, thank you, everybody. We appreciate you joining us. What's coming up on the ride calendar? I guess there's not a whole lot right now. Well, there are a few Florida. rides across the country. Um, to go look them up, go to the ride calendar. It's at aerc.org and uh, follow the link to the ride calendar, and then you can uh, it'll come up with the different regions. You can look for the state you're in to see which region, and then um, you know kind of dial it down from there and see which rides are coming up. There are several. There aren't as many this time of year. Um, you know, some of the regions, especially in the west and north, are kind of shut down until spring. Um, but there are, you know, rides in Texas and and Florida and, and, and some of those areas coming up in Southern California. So go check out the ride calendar. We've also got the AARC convention coming up March 6th and March 7th, and that's in Reno at the Grand Sierra Resort. So now's the time if you want to go to that to reserve your room and book your flights to get the best prices. Uh, the AARC well, that's website also has... Year. That's right down the road, isn't it? It is. It is. It's right down the road from me, just right, well, up the road, north. But, it's uh, yes, it's in Reno, and there's a lot to do in Reno. So, you know, if you're interested in endurance and your family isn't, bring them along because there's a lot to do in Reno and the surrounding areas. There's an, all kinds of different recreational activities and a lot of stuff going on all the time That uh, so you can make it kind of a fun family vacation. And uh, the other thing is there are several endurance clinics that are coming up. They're they're going get, like gangbusters, getting those set up all over the country. So uh, you might be interested in attending an endurance clinic, and they have beginner ones and intermediate and more advanced. And uh, you can go to aarc.org or call the office to get more information. And that number is eight six six two seven one two three seven two. Very good. Thank you so much, Karen. We appreciate you being here every month talking endurance. And, of course, Karen is here the second Tuesday of every month. If you want to hear some of the past episodes, just go to Horses in the Morning and look up Karen Chatton and all the past episodes will come up. And you can take a listen to each and every one of them if you're interested. And, and of course, uh, one, one more time, give your blog out. Uh, my blog is uh, just my name, KarenChatton.com. KarenChatton.com. We'll be back tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Eastern. Jamie will be here, and we'll have a Wednesday show for you. Until then, ride safe where you're coming.